Digital 410 Productions proudly presents What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast with your host, Don Everett. What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining us for another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast. Today's going to be another one-on-one interview with myself and our guest today, Mr. Glenn Fleming. Joining us from Texas, we're usually our co-host... Jeff Copsetta also joins us from, but uh, as I said, today's a one-on-one interview. First and foremost, Glenn, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for joining us today, sir. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. You've had a very uh, long-storied career, but I, I found something on your Instagram page today that I wasn't aware of, and I want to talk to you before we get into the World War II stuff. Yeah, sure, um, man. Are you still working in radio, or when did that happen? No, I, uh, when I got out to uh, drivethanks.com, Mm-hmm. The Wi-Fi out here is pretty iffy. I did it for a little while, but it just didn't work out. So I stopped doing the radio show, Were you which kind of sucks because I really enjoyed doing radio. Were you doing it over an ISDN line? Yeah, I was just doing it over my phone, man. There's very little phone service out here, yeah. and, you know, it kind of sucks. That's kind yeah, of- I, I really enjoyed it, man. I like doing radio a whole lot. Oh, I loved radio. I actually worked as a producer uh, for Trestle Radio for six and a half years. Um, crazily oh, cool. enough, the show I worked for, um, they're a legacy show. This is unheard of in modern day radio. They have been on the same station, uh, since 1993, same oh, team, wow. uh, number one afternoon show around here. Did it for like six and a half years. Loved radio. Um, yeah. you and I are old school guys. We grew up listening to radio, talk radio, Howard Stern, Anthony opening, all yep. that stuff. And just, we loved radio, but sadly like TV, we've all seen the commercials for the discovery plus the Disney plus the everybody's going to streaming service now because much yeah, like yeah. radio has been, you know, fighting Pandora and Spotify and all that uh, TV is doing the same thing. And I don't know. I think cable television and satellite TV, as far as we know, it will be gone within five to six years. It's all going to be. Yeah, streaming I kind of agree with you on that, man. I mean, it's cable TV, no big loss there really, yeah. man. But uh, you know, the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of history behind radio, and it's just it's kind of sad to see that go the wayside. Radio will always be there, especially down here in Florida, uh, where radio gets its re-immersion every few years is when we get hit with a hurricane. And yeah. um, like three years ago, I was without power and water for 16 days. And oh, so wow, that sucks. Obviously, a lot of people were, especially younger cats, like 18, 20-year-olds, they were being introduced to radio for the first time because they would always yeah. stream their stuff, and now their parents are getting the FM radio out of the closet, popping some batteries into it. And there, uh, we would get calls from new listeners all the time because I still worked in radio at the time. They're like, hey, uh, this is all new to me, but this is pretty cool. So, radio will always be there as far as the emergency stuff. But uh, oh yeah, definitely, it's it's kind of sad to see it go. So let's get a little background. One of the things I like to do when I have people on the show for the first time is get a little background history. And for mm-hmm. you, especially with the theme of this um, show, my co-host is. Uh, former military as well. I never served, oh. but I know you were a helicopter gunner. Give us a little background on uh, when you joined up and your times of service and how that kind of led you to where you are today. Yeah, man. I uh, Let's see. I joined up in 93 in the Air Force and in 97 transferred over to being a helicopter gunner. Did that till 2007. Got retired. Um, there wasn't really a whole lot of transfer between what I was doing and what I you know, gunsmithing and stuff like that. I just gunsmithing has kind of always been my hobby and just kind of right place, right time, a bunch of areas and uh, kind of fell into my lap. And uh, of course I was on the show for a while, did some TV and did the radio show, like we said. And then uh, 
it all ended up with me moving out here to uh, the Ox Hunting Ranch and working at drivethanks.com. It's a really cool place to be, man. I'm really happy about it. Yeah, I see a lot of great uh, photos on your social media pages and all that. When you were in the Air Force, what was the um, what equipment were you flying on? I was flying on the MH-53J Pablo. It was an Air Force Special Operations helicopter. The best job in the world, man. I'll never do anything that tops that job. And people come down here and they're like, oh, you got the best job in the world. I'm like, no, second best. Had it, moved on to the second best. Yeah. What got you into the World War II firearms? I saw that you've worked on MG-42s, MG-43s, STG-44s, STG-45s. How did you get into the World War II? I, I I guess maybe if you're going to be a gunsmith, um, you're going to need to learn how to work on all that former equipment, right? Yeah, yeah. I've always been into the World War II German stuff. I just really like mechanically how they operate, specifically the MG34. I actually love that gun. It's a really, really cool gun, right? It's just a work of art. It's complicated as hell, but it's really neat. Um, so I kind of transferred that. When I, when I got out the military, I started gunsmithing, just working on you know, shotguns, hunting guns, pistols, stuff like that. And my boss at the time had a SOT, you know, he was a manufacturer as well. So I could open up my horizons and I built an MG42. And that kind of took off from there. It turns out I was really good at building machine guns. So I just started building them, started working on them for people. And uh, just kind of went from there, man. It kind of exploded, you know, it kind of worked out really well for me. I would assume with the internet and the availability of content now, it's probably easier to come across some um, documentation when working on a firearm for the first time. But back then, you oh, know, yeah. in the early 2000s, where does one find paperwork on how to appropriately rebuild an MG42 that's been demilled and cut in half? I mean, how- well, you just kind of have to figure it out from all the parts. <laughs> I mean, like, it, say your MG42 is, I mean, they're, they're cut more than this, but say it's cut like right in the middle of the receiver. And it's never a clean cut either. It's the no, biggest well, hack you, job, you, too. Plas- you used to get plasma cuts, but now they're all torch cuts and I got this much removed and stuff. But you can put the top cover on between the front half and the second half, and that's going to give you your distance on the receiver for how big your cut is because, you know, you, you're never quite sure. And when I started out, there wasn't really any blueprints out or anything like that. So that gives you the proper distance. And then you just jig it up and weld it up from there. What about headspace and all that? I mean, obviously, when it comes to um, the battery and the thing not blowing up in your face, you got to have that headspacing exactly correct. Yeah, on, on some guns, again, you can use the parts to figure out the headspace of it. Uh, the 42 is a little different. You use the camming piece. And that's that's what sets your barrel. Your uh, that's the part where your bolt actually the rollers come out and lock into the barrel. So you can use that camming piece for a good idea of uh, your distances and stuff like that. Now I know you say you you, you enjoy German weaponry and um, mm. you've rebuilt quite a few. Out of all of them, which one was the biggest pain in the ass or what you would consider over engineered? Um, MG34, hands down. Really. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the tolerances on it are really, really, they're slim. If you mess it up a little bit, you've messed it up a lot. And, I mean, for instance, the bolt has like 30 pieces in it. Just the bolt has 30 parts in it. It's, it's a really complex gun, but it's a lot of fun to work on. And when they run, they run great. What, what, obviously, it's kind of hard to quali- quantify this verbally, but was there, what was the big changes between the 42 and the 43? 
Oh, well, the 42 and the between the 34 and the 42, there's, yeah. there's not really much in common beyond the caliber and the belts that it uses. I mean, the uh, 40, they both the 42 has rollers, you know, kind of delayed roller action on it, and uh, the 34 has a rotating bolt head that goes on. There's rollers in it, but it rotates as opposed to coming out. The other kind of similarity between the two is the way the gas is trapped to, to uh, work uh, recoil. It's up in the front. There's a little booster that traps the gas between the, you know, and the little cup between the booster and the barrel, and it pushes the barrel back, thereby unlocking the bolt, and the whole recoil process starts. Do you have much experience working on M1 Garands? A little bit, yeah, yeah. The reason I ask is obviously with the World War II based podcast, a big part of our audience, and myself included, we're living historians, i.e., World War II reenactors, and obviously yeah. a majority of us use. M1 Garands, and I didn't know um, out of the few you've worked on, have you seen a um, familiar or common failure point or things that need to be that maybe perhaps we overlook when maintaining these guns that you've seen cause most of the problems that bring them mm -hmm. your way? The only thing, we shoot ours over here at Drive Tanks. We shoot it a lot, right? Mm -hmm. People come in and want to shoot the hell out of it. And the only thing I can think of that's really been broken on it is the op rod. Yeah, but we we use just the real good uh, M1 Grand specific ammo too. We don't just yeah use the American Eagle M1 brand. Um, I believe so. I don't no. It might be about preview. I don't remember though. Yeah, I know American Eagle makes a brand specifically for um, mm -hmm. M1s. And if you like, I actually somebody was at a uh, gun store one time. They called me up, said, "Hey, they got a bunch of old M2 ball ammo over here." So they picked up some of that for wow. me. The problem I have with mine, which is over my shoulder. And, I, and now I use Atlantic Wall blank adapter, and I only get my blanks from Atlantic Wall because that's where my blank adapter is from. Yeah. And I have this reoccurring issue where I'll be out in an event, in the middle of a tactical event or even a public reenactment, mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's a hot round. I thought I resolved it by giving my blank adapter a thorough cleaning, but even after that, um, yeah. basically, I'll have a round that's either hot or whatever. My bolt carrier slams back so hard that the thumb dislodges from the charging handle. Oh, wow. And so yeah, then I have to break it down in the middle of the field, re redo it, put a new clip in, and yeah. it'll run a few more. But every maybe once out of every five clips, it'll that damn charging handle dislodges, and it's the strangest huh. damn thing. Yeah, that is kind of weird. I mean, have you checked your uh, recoil? Or I forget what it's uh, technically called on the M1, but the recoil spring might be going a little weak. Yeah, that's – that's. I, I was thinking – the thing maybe I was thinking was maybe that thumb – that goes underneath the, the carrier, maybe that's just getting worn just a little bit to no, that's a there's a matching too. area on the, that it, it just, there's a gap or something. I don't know. It's a, it's the yeah. weirdest damn thing. I mean, I, I really haven't messed around with blank firing guns too much. Sure. So I'm not familiar with uh, how good the loading is on blanks and stuff like that. But if it's like, I don't know, factory blank, I'd be kind of surprised if it was the ammo causing that issue. Yeah, sad thing is, is uh, unfortunately I have one of the uh, those lovely International Arms Company M1s because uh, mm -hmm. when I went out looking for them, um, I just I just went oh the uh, civilian marksmanship program were completely sold out. This is before they yeah. got their imports in, and I found this one at a gun show, and I haven't oh. had any problems with it. You know, I know people say the early early ones were bad. Not that I get into too much politics at a living history event, but every once in a while if you know, gun laws and all that come up. I kind of use this as an example of the assault rifle laws from the 80s, how they had to take yeah. a perfectly good Springfield receiver, throw it away, and then a company in Canada milled out the exact same part, only difference is the serial number, now it's legal, and the insanity behind that. And 
Yeah. I show a perfectly good M1 Garand that has really less value simply because they had to swap out the receiver simply over yeah. a serial number that was issued to the military versus being civilian. And Yeah. And oh, I, I could go off on gun laws, man. Trust me. They're, they're so asinine and so arbitrary that it's, well, it's enraging. Well, I know you were in Louisiana for a while. Where did you yeah. grow up? Um, I was a military brat. I was born in Georgia, but grew up mostly in Louisiana, but I moved around a whole lot. How long? And that transferred into being an adult. When I joined the military, I moved all over the place. So, you know, I was gone all the time. How long have you been in Texas? Uh, that's a good question. I think it'll be four years in February or next month, brother. I saw a concerning video this morning. Apparently, there's a, a state representative in your lovely state who is trying mm -hmm. to, um, let's say, rewrite the Castle Doctrine. Have you heard of this yet? Oh, really? I haven't heard about that. Um, no. According to him and the video I saw from the lady reading the uh, the bill proposal, he thinks that, you know, hey, if someone's coming to break in your house, they're simply just trying to get their loot and leave. And so he wants to rewrite the council doctrine that not saying you can't defend yourself, Glenn, but first you must try to actively leave the premises so that they can do whatever it is that they're at your house trying to do, acquire your, your all your well, shit. And yeah, that, I mean, they're just, you know, they're they're – Pour down on their luck, criminals. I mean, they don't mean any harm. I, I saw, I saw an interview with a. I think it was a, a full-on representative, a U.S. representative, that he said something to the order of, if somebody broke in his house, he wouldn't shoot them. He'd try to sit down and talk with them and see where they're coming from and yeah, because sing kumbaya or something, you know. Nothing a, a good hopped-up meth addict or someone on a heroin withdrawal who's trying to yeah, get a exactly. quick fix. They'll, they'll appreciate the talk, no they're, doubt. No they're doubt. all about, you know, when when you're Jones and you're all about a nice sit-down and have a nice talk yeah. with a complete stranger who may change your ways. Yeah, maybe make him some tea. That'll cure the DTs, <laughs> you know. So... Um, you got the invite to come be the gunsmith over at World of, or yeah. World of Tanks or is it Drive Tanks? Drive Tanks. Yeah, I know you guys work with World of Tanks, the game, because they do a lot of yeah, cross promotion welcome, yeah. and see a lot of stuff on YouTube. But you're at DriveTanks.com. Um, obviously, now you're working on, well, you've always kind of worked on large bore stuff as well, right? Yeah, uh, that started when I was on the show on, on Discovery Channel. Mm -hmm. uh, they they bring in you know tanks, artillery, and what have you, and I'd, I'd work on those. I, that it really broadened my horizons working on that show. I'm really thankful I was on it. One of the uh, things that I thought was cool being a living history historian, I wasn't even in reenacting back then. One of the things that he mm -hmm. made that I would love to see come to market, but obviously it didn't, was he made the soft tip launchable bazooka round. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That way, when people are firing bazookas, you know, he held up the gas mask bag to make sure it bounced off them. Mm -hmm. And I think he filled it with flour or something to generate uh, some yeah. smoke. But um, I've seen some crazy, uh, you know. Speaking of tanks, being down here in South Florida, I have the luxury and benefit. I haven't done so much lately, but when I first started, I used to do a lot of training with uh, World War II armor. Oh, cool, and Rabbi Robin, I forget. I, I forget how many tanks he has now. I know he mm -hmm. has a hell. I think he has. A, I know he has one Hellcat. I think he has a couple of M2. I think he's right around six. Okay. <laughs> um, the famous uh, German tank from Save It Private Ryan that they blew up with a sticky bomb. Yeah. That's currently under a full restoration. He got a hold of that a few years ago. Was quite surprised of the Hollywood armor on it. Most of it was mm -hmm. plywood and PVC that was painted. And so they did a full a blown off the uh, frame restoration to rebuild it so that when we do these, I mean, he ships these tanks up to Ohio for the D-Day events and all over the place. Yeah. But um, so I've had the 
the luxury and benefit of working with them. Now, clearly what you guys do, you're, you're firing live rounds, which the yeah. compression is a hell of a lot more than when you're firing blade rounds. But as someone, oh, yeah, yeah. someone who's been lay, who's been laying in a prone position about a hundred yards in front of a, uh, a Sherman tank that's shooting Blake or blank rounds. I know the compression that comes off of those barrels. And I know the psychological effect of, I remember I was out at his farm doing a training event and I was mm -hmm. prone up in a position cause we were getting ready to overrun a German position. And just the feeling, the vibration of the ground, even when these tanks are 200 yards behind you. And oh, obviously yeah. we're in a make believe situation, but those make believe situations can kind of psychologically be as real as you make them as Tom Hanks talks about when making movies. But when you're laying prone up, trying not to be seen, and you just feel the whole ground rumbling because these tanks are creeping up behind you, I can yeah. only imagine the psychological effect of that in a real-world environment, real-world scenario where these guys are out to kill you versus playing make-believe. Oh, yeah. And just yeah, I mean, the those tanks are just, in, they're just yeah. insane. I mean, there's, there's a reason I didn't go in the Army, man. I mean, it was all about being in helicopters, <laughs> flying around. You're open. You can see stuff. Screw being in a tank, man. That's just a step up from a submarine for me, you know. I mean, those guys in it, more power to them, wow. dude. Because that's that's a bullet magnet right there. Everybody sees a tank, that's the first thing they want to get rid of. Yep, which is why we would train with them. Because when you're doing a reenactment or a you know in a public, um, to make it more realistic, a tank crew is nothing without infantry to protect them from people running yeah. up with you know bombs and grenades and that. So, and obviously you yep. can't just show up an event and have five random guys there. You have to have people you know, familiar with the safety commands and the distance yeah. to stay away from them. So we would actually go out there and spend quite a, quite a lot of time with them. But um, I've seen some of the videos. When you guys do those live fires, you guys are doing those with a uh, tether remotely, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, all you know, the, the original components are used in the tank, breech ring barrel, mm -hmm. breech block, all that stuff. And we let's take the Sherman, for example. The breech ring on that is like 70 77 78 years old one day it's gonna go mm -hmm. one day it's gonna explode and you never know when that is so it's a lot safer to shoot it from outside the tank than inside the other thing is we have a muzzle brake on our sherman and that kind of directs the blast back towards the tank so when you pull it you get a lot more effect by doing you know personally by doing it with the lanyard outside and lastly, it's actually kind of boring to shoot a tank from the inside. The yep. tank rocks, so you can't see what you're shooting or what you're hitting at. A little puff of smoke, it's not that loud. I mean, it's loud, but it's not as loud as being on the outside. It's uh, certainly a more visceral, is that right? Yeah. Visceral, yeah, visceral experience to be on the outside of the tank and shoot. It'd be kind of like shooting tamarite from the inside of your car. I mean, you exactly. Yeah, you that's a good analogy, actually. That's pretty good. Speaking of which, Second Armor has a long tom now, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they were, of course, they shoot blanks out of those too. But yeah, I, I was doing a I doing this podcast remotely from the cab of my truck one time during uh, during one of these events, and every time they'd fire, they're firing these things off like once every hour and a half, <laughs> and I had to move my truck because the windshield would flex every just, yeah. and this just from the blank rounds. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the the compression the the concussion that comes off of those are insane. But back to where you're saying about safety, um, mm -hmm. and kind of same, not you know probably different production company, but same mm -hmm. parenting TV station. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of this, and uh, we in the reenacting community community are aware of this. Um, I think they were in Minnesota or somewhere in the flyover states. They were shooting a show for Discovery a few years back. Yeah, and, I think you're talking about the. Uh I believe they're in Portland or somewhere in Oregon. Or yeah, something like that. and they were 
either shooting some B-roll or they were they were wanting to get some shot of a live round. And much like you said, yeah. the equipment inside is old. The guys inside were trained. You know, they owned the tank. They'd used it hundreds of times before. They're trained. And something happened. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it was a misfire. And then when they, I don't, I don't know. I don't even want to speculate, but something happened causing uh, death to both the persons inside the tank. And, and yeah, that, that was a pretty bad scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I got a, I, I didn't know the guys personally, but I have some friends from friends who did and they mm-hmm. said they're cool guys. So yeah. kind of sucks. But I mean, that, that goes to, you know, a minute of inattention will really do you wrong in this business. So you always got to kind of be on your toes and be ready for whatever. We're, we're going to get a little off the rails here real quick. Cause um, yeah. not only I, I have the interest in world war two and the firearms, but uh, you and I also share a common interest. Um, at least maybe obviously with you and your military background, it was something instilled mm-hmm. with you for a while back, but I mm-hmm. noticed that you're trying to uh, get back in a little fitness and maybe get a little healthier in your, your older age. Oh, yeah. You and I both got the white beards going on here. I'm 42. And yeah. Uh, I'm 50, man, so don't feel bad. Is it, <laughs> does it get harder the older we get? Well, I'm I'm a little messed up from the military. Too many hard landings and stuff. So I got like bad joints all over and the TBI and all kinds of stuff. So it's not easy to do, but you know, I've been doing it and it's worked out really well. I lost like 40 pounds since I've been out here. So I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Plus. You know, working out, exercising makes you feel better about yourself. Besides just the fact of looking better, it's just it puts you in a way better state of mind. Yeah, you know, and that's it's so funny because I have a I, I do three podcasts because I find that um, when you have a podcast, you know, you have a general entertainment podcast. You spend too much time on World War Two, that audience gets bored. If you have a yeah. World War Two podcast, you talk about fitness, and that audience gets bored. And so I have three of them. I got this one. I got oh, one cool. called What's in Your Head podcast, and then I have a motivational podcast called Failed to Fail. And that when we kind of get into the fitness stuff, but yeah. um, one of the frustrating things for people who work out regularly and who discover the the effect that physical fitness has on one's mind, the mm-hmm. most frustrating part for people like us is when we see people who suffer from depression, like I used to, or yeah. high anxiety, um, or just anything. When you try to explain to them, hey man, go to the gym with me for a while, or hey man, yeah. go running with me, they're like, you're insane. And it's like, it's so, you, trust me, it, you got to give it a month or two, but it, uh, it yeah. dramatically, like I'm at the point now, oh, I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure you're the same way that if you don't go, you start getting pissy with people and your yeah. whole mindset changes. Yeah. Now, when I got out the military, I had a pretty decent case of PTSD and uh, I was all, eh, you know, sure. anxiety, depression, and the whole enchilada. So working out or exercise in general is definitely helped with that man i mean 100 percent. i mean there's no doubt about that in my mind at all i mean it's not uh yeah it might as well be it's kind of night and day you know and if i if i wouldn't have been exercising i'd be sitting at home watching tv with my thumb up my butt getting fat and being depressed about it i was one of those cats who was always super skinny um to the point mm-hmm. that when my parents got divorced and my dad took me to the doctor because he thought i was not being taken care of properly by my mom my, do- <laughs> my doctor said no he just got a fast metabolism I'm yeah. six foot five. I weighed 175 pounds until I was 25 years old. Oh, so wow. um, at 21, you know, living in Cal, I moved up, I left Ohio, moved to California, and I actually had to start going to the gym because the women out there thought I was a heroin act or something. So I had to <laughs> start putting a little muscle mass on. But then when yep. I moved to Florida and I got in my 30s, I, I got hooked on a little thing called uh, Call of Duty. <laughs> so oh, I, was, yeah. I was doing the whole Xbox thing for eight hours a day, drinking Mountain Dew, eating tacos. Mm-hmm. 
at my biggest, I got up to 243 pounds and I was shopping oh, for a wow, size dude. 38. And, uh, and then I had two kidney stones. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was working in radio, I was doing my, cause, um, professionally now I've been running an IT firm with my father since 2004, but at the time I was working in radio and doing the IT work. So I was going yeah. to five in the morning, working until noon, going to doing radio until uh, six o'clock at night. And then sometimes going back to work. And so I was drinking like three Mountain Dews, two Monster Energies, a uh, five hour energy. And I, I squeezed, I ended up in a hospital with the worst pain ever. Um, if you ever find it, you know, that time of the day when you wake up in the morning and your body starts producing its waste and you're ready to offload. Yeah. If you find around four in the morning, um, you can't urinate or do anything else and you get a sharp pain in your stomach and you've mm-hmm. noticed you've had lower back pain for the last four or five months. Turns out it's a kidney stone or two. The only time in my life I have vomited from pain. You'll find oh, wow. yourself in a fetal position in your bathroom. And so long story short, after that, I, that's when I changed everything. And I'm down. My walking around weight right now is I depend on how much I run. Um, I go from I'm 220 today, but I'll, I'll, I'll go anywhere from 220 to on the 218. I think last oh, nice. October I got a wild hair at my ass. And I decided to run 100 miles in one month. And I got down to 207, but that's just for my height. That's just too insane. And so, yeah. um, but no, and it's where it's really improved in, in this subject matter is I have photos of me wearing the same uniform, my mm-hmm. first ID um, uniform with the uh, M1 jacket and the trousers. I actually just had to buy whole new uniforms because I lost so much weight that I, yeah, it, it makes my impression look more authentic opposed to being the overweight, you know, reenactor oh, yeah. that most of the world makes fun of Americans for because half our cats. Yeah. Are, Obviously, no, I, go ahead. I was in the same boat, man. I mean, I, I got out to drive tanks. I weighed like 190 something pounds, and uh, can't squeeze in the hatch. <laughs> yeah, once I started working out and stuff, you know, I got got down. I'm right now about 163, give or take. You know, so I'm pretty happy at this weight. And again, all, the best part about all that was getting rid of all my fat clothes and buying new like clothes that fit. You know, I, told- I was real happy about that. And I, I've said this story before, but my brother, when I first started getting to fitness, losing weight, he's like, oh, you're one of those douchebags now. I'm like, what douchebag <laughs> is that? He's like, there's people who post pictures on Instagram, you working out. And I said, yes. And here's two reasons why. One, I started doing it. I would just check in. I didn't post photos. I would check in on Facebook at the gym just so I can go back, look at my timeline to see how often I was yeah. working out. But then I would slowly start posting pictures on Facebook, uh, Instagram. And two things happen. One, um, people start talking crap, which the internet mm-hmm. hates positivity. Yeah. And two, I would get private messages from people my age saying, hey, and I've actually gotten some from other fellow reenactors saying, hey, if you can do this stuff, I can do it. And I've actually had people say, because of you, I've one of my veterinarian clients, uh, she was like 30. She's like, because of your post, I started going back to the gym and I think she's down 30 pounds. Oh, nice, nice. And so I thought, well, that's cool. But I love the fact when people start talking crap on the internet because I use that as motivation to continue working out. Because I yeah. know as soon as I stop, I'm going, oh, Mr. I'm better than you. What happened? Why aren't you working out anymore? And, and also when I worked in radio, I would get I would get a little weak. I'd walk into the break room and one of the sales mm-hmm. guys, yeah, go ahead. Get that honey bun. I'll be an extra two hours at the gym. And it keeps me honest. <laughs> so I would find by posting on the internet, even though people hate it, it the fact that I don't want to give them the satisfaction of failing, it keeps me motivated to keep me going and it keeps yeah. me honest. I've been pretty lucky. I mean, I don't have a lot of haters on Instagram and all that. I mean, occasionally I do, but it's, it's the internet. Yeah. But I, I have gotten a lot of a uh, positive response from working out and you know, advocating that kind of thing. 
And I have gotten some responses from people, like you said, they're like, man, you, I started doing what you do and then it's worked out really well for me. Thank you. That kind of stuff, which makes you feel pretty good and makes you want to go hit the gym even more. Mm-hmm. Speaking of keeping honest, Grunt Style, for a while they had um, one of their breakoff brands, they had a shirt mm-hmm. for their gym said, uh, reps, not text. And so yeah. I, I bought that shirt and I wear it at the gym just so once again, to keep me honest. So when I have that shirt on, I won't even change the station on my Pandora because I don't want somebody to get a picture of me looking like I'm texting <laughs> while wearing a shirt that says reps, not yeah. text. And so that keeps me motivated. Choose the channel, leave it alone and go do your workout and get the job done. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. I mean, well, I work out in the gym here in ranch and I'm realistically the only guy who's working out of that gym right now. Uh, it's a cool little gym, great equipment, but it's not heated and it's cold and I hate the cold. So it's, it's definitely, uh, difficult to motivate myself to go do that sometimes. But the good thing is they don't have Wi-Fi at the gym, so I don't have to worry about screwing around on my phone or anything like that. What's, what's the definition of Texas cold? Oh man, for me, anything below 70 degrees, I'm freezing my nuts off. It's funny because I grew up in Ohio. So when I was a kid, we'd be at the bus stop. Once I got to 50, we were wearing shorts, but I've been living in Florida since 2004. If it gets down to below 60, I I got hooded sweatshirts on. It's it's funny. It's been getting down to the light 60s now. And so I've been cracking my windows because next week and I have a tactical event up in Georgia Mm -hmm. on a Boy Scout camp. No public, just reenactors. We're going to have like, you know, a week long tactical event. That's cool. And um, I'm going to be sleeping in my pup tent on the ground. And last winter I was up there and it got, the last time I was up there it, at night, it got into the high forties. Oh and no. So, no, 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 no. So, um, sleeping on the hard ground under an 80 year old pup tent, um, and the high forties being a Florida boy, <laughs> even with five wool blankets. Um, so that last year I ended up crawling into some of the Georgia guys tents cause they had a propane heater in there, but I've mm-hmm. decided this year I want to stop at tractor supply, get me a bale of square hay, lay down at the bottom oh, of my yeah. tent. And get my uh, World War II sleep. Because when I do these events, I try to do what we're all supposed to be doing, which is living living through their boots. And so you'll see some yeah. of these. And granted, we're all older because, well, this shit's expensive and most 16-year-olds can't afford to do it. That's why most reenactors are 30 and up because we have careers yeah. and we can afford $200 boots and $100 trousers. But yeah. um, but when I do these events, you'll see guys sleep on yoga mats. They'll have pillows. They'll have modern days. Mm-hmm. I try to until my age, my body will no longer allow me to do it, which I've discovered if um, my body's good for about five hours on the hard ground. So I try to stay up late, but I, mm-hmm. I use my uh, haversack or musette bag, depending on the impression I'm doing as my pillow. I no oh, modern, cool. no modern stuff. So when I go, I'm, I have five wool blankets. Like I said, I'm going to get some square hay. I have a, an original 1942 pup tent that I sleep under. And um, I, I try to go as authentic as I can. The only thing really, as we say in the hobby, Farby that I bring is I, and you guys can see it on the YouTube channel. I built a podcast studio in the box because last year when I went up to this event, I left my damn microphones in my garage. So now <laughs> I, I made a box that looks like an ammo crate. All I do is simply mm-hmm. pop the top, put my laptop in, plug the sound card up, and everything's self-contained. That's cool. But but when it's taken apart, it just looks like an ammo crate. And so that's the yeah. only real thing. And I have another one that I keep my cooler in. But other than yeah. that, I try to not bring modern day stuff. Obviously, my cell phone and a battery charger because you know the wife calls. You got to answer the phone. Oh but, yeah. Um, so, uh, think if somebody wanted to come out there to um, to where you're at, how does that mm-hmm. work? They go on the website, they register, they yeah, yeah, you just go to the website. There's a couple ways to do it. You can uh, go to drivetanks.com online. You know, in the name and. Uh, <laughs> just uh decide what you want to do from there and book an appointment there 
or you can call the main line or you can call the ox ranch, ox hunting ranch line and say, Hey, I want to do tank stuff. And they'll help you uh, set up appointments through that. We're pretty open now. I mean, quite honestly, we're a little slower because of the whole Rona thing, you know, yeah. which kind of sucks. But uh, we still have people coming out. Everybody's still having a good time. How did that whole thing start before we let you go? Did one of the guys just own a tank and said, hey, let's make some money off this thing? No, or? Uh, I was doing some work for these guys for, the, for a side gig they had, building machine guns for them. And uh, one day they called me up and they're like, hey, man, we want a tank. Okay, so I found them a Sherman tank in um, Maine, and they bought it and brought it down here, and the hunting ranch was open at that point, and they were just driving the tank around, having a good time. What variant the is it? client hunters were out here. Uh, M4A2E8. That's the one with yeah, the original vertical suspension, or does that got the horizontal suspension on it? I couldn't tell you, man. I'm the gun guy. <laughs> It's got cool suspension, whatever it is. But anyway, the the clients were like, hey, man, I'll pay you to uh, go ahead and drive that. So it's kind of a light bulb moment. And they just started buying more tanks and opened up drivetanks.com, and here we are. How many tanks do they have in their um, their fleet now? Uh, 14 or 16. I don't remember right now. But we, we're getting more all the time, so it's kind of hard to keep track. They got different variants from different eras, or are they all primarily World War II? Oh, yeah, yeah. We have like, uh, I mean, we have Scorpion. We have a couple Shermans. Uh, we actually have a Stug 3 off D, which uh, is really, really cool to have. It's got some battle damage to it. That's nice. kind of neat. Um, we have a few different variants of the Leopards, you know, 1A5s, 1A4s, stuff like that. Uh, Walker Bulldog, M114, Abbott, T72. British Chieftain, and some other ones I can't remember right now off the top of my head. So basically every few months or years, you guys are building more shelters to park these things in, I would imagine. How many Pretty much, yeah, man. We have to keep building on buildings and stuff, you know. Yeah. How many acres you guys have out, out there? Uh, uh, total, it's 18,000, but uh, that's the whole hunting ranch. Sure. So we only use probably about, I don't know, I'd say 1,000, 2,000 of it, something like that. Fantastic. Glenn, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you on social media? Obviously on Instagram. What's your primary, I guess? Oh, yeah. Where, where do you want people to find you at? Uh, my primary handle is Flem Gunner. Uh, combination of, you know, Fleming and I used to be a gunner, so Flem Gunner. And uh, I'm on Instagram. On Facebook, I kind of just do private Facebook thing. I don't do the public sure. one anymore. And I'm also on Twitter under Flem Gunner as well. Now, I saw your YouTube channel today. Are you still doing stuff actively with that, oh, yeah. or is that something you just kind of do from here and there? Uh, I haven't for a while, but I am going to start doing it again. I used to run one called the Gunner's Vault, which was a lot of fun talking about guns. Uh, now I just do Glenn. I think it's Glenn J. Fleming or Glenn yep. Fleming or something I, on YouTube. I subscribed I to it earlier. A real eclectic sort of thing on there. Well, I mean, you definitely got you, – you, you're at the location where big people like Demolition Ranch and uh, the guys from Ridiculousness mm -hmm. have come out and shot content. So, I mean, you're there. So yeah. why not utilize that same content and get some more people over to your YouTube channel and uh, have some fun with it? Yeah, I probably should. Honestly, I it just never think time. about it, you know. <laughs> it takes a lot. Yeah. Actually, I got a new camera. Thanks to our stimulus check, I got a new camera coming my oh, way. Oh, nice, nice. So that I can uh, – No, I might do that. I might do that. That's probably a good idea. It seems like it'd be kind of fun. I'll give you a little secret what I just did because I, I'm a frugal guy. Um, I have an older GoPro 3, which doesn't have stabilization. Most of my camera work I do with my phone because it's great. 
but I went on eBay and you can get a brand new um, GoPro Seven, which is still 4K. It's the the latest variant's yeah. an eight, but I got a brand new GoPro, never been opened Seven for like two hundred and thirty dollars. I think a GoPro Eight uh-huh. retails like four hundred, brand new, and there's yeah. really not much no, difference as far a, as I the quality a, goes. I have a GoPro Eight that I use nice. for when I race my car. I put it in the back, and you know, it just records all kinds of stuff. What do you know, race? So. Uh, Lotus Elise. Oh, so you're in a car racing too, huh? Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to be. I mean, this last year kind of took a hit on that because nothing was open, you know, yeah. too many restrictions and all that. But this year, this summer, rather, I'm really hoping to get back into it again. What um, what circuit do you usually race on? Uh, right now, I'm trying for Harris Hill. Or not, excuse me, uh, MSR. Yeah, Harris Hill out in San Antonio. It's got a nice place. The buy-in's a little expensive, but it's nice. There's also a driveway up in Austin, and Circuit of the Americas is open every once in a while to well, it's novices and stuff. Well, if you're ever out in the San Antonio area, headed down. Have you been down to Fredericksburg? I haven't been for a while. No. Head down to Fredericksburg and go to the National Museum of the Pacific War. Yeah, I've heard that was a really cool place. I do need to check that out. I subscribed to your YouTube channel today. Um, back subscribe. Mm-hmm. Go through my catalog. Um, I was out there about three years ago. Did a podcast mm-hmm. from out there, um, and I shot some footage. Once again, I'm not the greatest camera. It's inside as as well as their um, living history event. Um, oh, cool. I, I jokingly tell them they have the Universal Studio of Living History. They have this great sound stage with um, sound effects, um, blasting air, uh, pots. They actually have LSTs on tracks, landing craft. Yeah. Um, they have a working flamethrower that they use at the end of every event. They basically yeah. blow out the um, the cave. And I remember I was laying dead on the second tier down. And the heat coming off that, even though oh, the, yeah. even though the uh, stands are 200 yards away, just everybody in the crowd, you can just feel the heat rolling down. Yeah, and, and it's not a buildup; it's no. instant. Yeah, yeah, flamethrowers are neat. But the the museum itself, when you're driving through the town, the, the way that it was built, the footprint is mm-hmm. amazing because it, it doesn't it's not a huge eyesore in the city. It's no. and, but it's so large that when you buy a ticket, that ticket is good for two days. Oh wow. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to check that out, man. I've been meaning to. It. Just, I just, I don't get off ranch a whole lot, you know. And when I do, it's usually just go to San Antonio, hit REI or something like that. They have the Japanese submarine that was captured on Pearl Harbor on display. Oh, wow! And it's not even behind rope. You can go up and touch it. You can see where when it traveled around the country, people graffitied it. Yeah. They got all. They have. It's cool. They they have um some uh they got a tank in there that was taken out during the pacific war and then they actually have the um gun that took it out and so the, oh no kidding yeah that's the, cool and the reason it's in fredericksburg is that is where uh, nimitz was born and so oh. how it came to be is nimitz had a family motel and people would start donating uh, artifacts to him and as time went by it just developed into a museum and it's it's a suit it, obviously it's all dedicated to the pacific war but they yeah. do a such it's 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 a high quality place it's huh. Yeah, I mean, if you're out that way, and take your Actually, wife. I'm off this week. I might, I might go hit that. That might be a good idea. Is your wife a wine fan? Uh, no, not really. I was going to say, Fredericksburg itself is a huge winery town. They got all these cool little restaurants and places and I have uh, heard that. vineyards. And so that's kind of nice for the guys who want to go to the museum, but the wives aren't into the history aspect. They can mm-hmm. kind of go shopping and, and get on the, the wine tour. But yeah, definitely head up that way sometime. Yeah, you may want to call to see what their hours are with the whole COVID nonsense going on. But uh-huh. but yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah, I'll do that. There's Josh. 
Where's Josh? Hey, Josh. Right. I saw Josh walking in the background. It's hard to do this. There Josh. Looks like Josh has got an M1 jacket on. I like yeah, that. Josh is our uh, tank mechanic. Nice. Well, Glenn, I'm going to wrap it up, let you get back to work. I get back to work myself. Thank you so much. And uh, if you ever have anything you want to promote or come back on, please uh, just reach out to me and we'll uh, get it cool. done. Cool. Thanks, man. That was fun. Keep up with the physical fitness too, man. And awesome, uh, man. I will. You will too, man. Thanks, man. Take it easy. All right. Later, bud. This has been a Digital 410 production. Ha, ha, ha.